0: This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald.
1: I'm Ramia Amadon. And this is Kelly and Ramia.
2: Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community,
0: and everyone's invited. And now, the big man himself, Kelly McDonald. Okay, folks, into that running position, ready, set, we're off for another week here on Kelly and Company, as we just can't. And, of course, my co-host, Romya This
1: ...Canada Young Leaders Summit. First in-person summit in three years, Kels.
0: How'd that feel?
1: That was amazing, the turnout. It was in Toronto, so local for me, but uh, great turnout. About 40 people between the ages of 15 and I'd say like 34, 35, um, all over Canada. I've met people, brand new people, so many youngins this year too. And it, it just felt like such a refreshing, energized weekend for us. Um, I'm really happy.
0: So how much of that would you credit, as awful as this is to say, and I apologize, folks, to the pandemic and the the mm-hmm. fact that so much is done on Zoom and people who, as we talked about numerous times on the show, we couldn't reach otherwise?
1: Yes, uh, we've we've said that outright throughout the weekend. People had pointed out that, you know, pandemic programming was fantastic. It was great for what it needed to deliver, to keep people in touch, to uh, have people remember that these programs are still happening. Don't lose in t- touch with it. But there's something extraordinary about being in person again. And whether you're meeting someone for the first time or just reconnecting with people, there's kind of this collective sigh of, Whew, we did it. We we came back together.
0: Did that break the ice over that time for people who otherwise would hear about it? Ah, down to Toronto, they're having that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I would never go to that. I wouldn't just show up not knowing anyone. Whereas now with the Zoom talks and the conversations and conferences online that you, you, you had to have, do you think that that really made some people say, well, I know these people. Yeah, but you've only talked to them on Zoom. Yeah, but off I go.
1: Exactly. It does make a difference. There were actually people, voices who I'd recognize personally from the two years that we'd held, uh, you know, online summits and said, oh, my gosh, it's so nice to see you in person because we'd never met before that, right? Only been keeping in touch over chats and online platforms. So, uh you're right. I think that there were some anxieties that people were like maybe maybe not, but after you got there, it helped so much that you knew them anyway.
0: What's wrong with your voice? I don't hear it coming from a computer speaker. Could you speak you into know. this microphone, please? <laughs> Hi, Ramya. Yeah. Let's see what's coming up on the program today as we jump into Kelly and Company. Brock Richardson of The Neutral Zone. He's going to bring us our weekly sports update shortly.
1: We're speaking to Michelle Tacher. She wrote The Departure Train, which is an audio drama about a woman who dies and borns a train in the afterlife. And we're going to learn more about the work on this production because it's airing on AMI-audio later on this month.
0: Wow, that sounds neat. Uh, Also on the program, Brenda McPhail director of the Privacy, Technology, and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, discusses the use and misuse of facial recognition technology on Know Your Rights. We'll get into that conversation in Hour 2 of Kelly and Company. So I have one food recall I want to jump into here, ladies and gentlemen, Certain Circle K Uh, Couch Tar Brand's sandwiches and this is being recalled due to listeria. This is a new shout out about this so a brand new posting if that's uh, some sandwiches that you you indulge in uh, you uh, certainly want to uh, take them back certainly do not eat them. Folks a special guest is attending the opening day of the Paris Motor Show.
3: The Paris Motor Show opening this week after a four-year hiatus due to the pandemic. It comes at a time when forecasts, according to Forbes, suggest up to 65% of new car and SUV sales in Europe by 2030 will be all-electric. French President Macron also stopping by to see the new vehicles on display. This as the French president recently announced an increase in the amount being given as an incentive to those who buy a new electric car. The Paris Motor Show was the world's first motor show when it was launched back in 1898. In as Liquiteria,
4: ABC News, Paris.
0: So, of course, the thought for me uh, with this is parts of Canada where these incentives here are, are not being made yet. You know, they want to bring business in to make batteries, to make vehicles that are electric. But for people buying them, we're not pushing on the incentives to get people out there to buy them in certain uh, certain places. So I'd like to see that. And Ramya, did you notice the whole mention of First Paris, basically, uh, auto show, if you want to call it that, mm-hmm. or, or one of these particular kinds of programs, motor shows, uh, 1898. Wow. Yeah, I
1: know. It's been going on forever. It, but the, the thing that stands out to me is the electric car a bit because I was thinking earlier today how quiet the streets will feel when we've moved to majority electric cars. Now I know the concerns of the the community mm-hmm. and things yes. like that, but just in general, just think about the noise level. Reminds me of um, how things may have felt for you during the pandemic, if you live in a big city and how quiet the roads got.
0: You would hear a lot of things. I mean, the construction zones would still stay oh, yeah. what they are. They'd be loud. But if you were walking a lot of streets, even with relatively quite a bit of traffic, it might feel a lot more... Uh, like when cars are idling because yeah, of traffic subdued. yeah a little more subdued of course a lot more movement a lot faster um, and I'm, I'm as time goes on as much as we feel it's for the community the blind community the concern of the lack of sound that's going to be for everyone I mean yep. you walk down a street and a bus pull past you with the engine in the back it still startles even those who can it does. see unless they happen to see a reflection in a sign yeah. or something but you expect it coming you know that so as time goes on and we get more used to the sound of tires, more used to whatever they want to call the the, the, the noise maker they start putting or applying on these vehicles mm-hmm. and uh, and brands start kind of getting their own idea of what kind of neat sound they want to have for their product, that, that'll that be interesting. I want to jump into this one because you might have some comment on this. The rapper formerly known as uh, uh, Kanye West is, is <laughs> offering to buy right-wing friendly social network. Parler, the alternative social media platform favored by many conservatives, is getting a new owner. Kanye West, whose legal name is now Yee, has reportedly brokered a deal to buy the site. No terms released, but Parler's parent company released a statement saying West has made a groundbreaking move into the free speech media space and will never have to fear being removed from social media again. West had his account temporarily locked by Twitter this month for an anti-Semitic tweet. Parler says Yee still has to finalize the deal, but it's expected to close before the end of the year derek dennis abc news when you can't beat him just buy one of your own um first of all yay or ye i thought it was yay
1: yay man it's yay
0: gosh i see i think i know that sometimes it's bad enough when the computer screws you (laughs) up um your thoughts
1: i mean kanye man oh sorry yay it's just so hard or maybe he. he was exactly one of uh, like a top rapper, ok? Just incredible in the hip-hop community. We saw his growth, his everything. And to see him, in my perspective, come crashing down like this, it's it's like flipping a coin. he's It's so ah uh, unbelievable to, you know, have him associated with anti-Semitic comments and all these different things and mm-hmm. feeling like he is resisting um society. It's so difficult. Wow.
0: Jury's in on him, though. Unfortunately, a lot of people just saying, look, you got to take care of home. You got to sort yourself out. You're getting yourself Mm -hmm. deeper and deeper in. The judge has spoken. Hear ye, hear ye. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! We'll be back after the break, folks, with Michael Babcock right here on Kelly and Company. if you feel like leaving us a message, easy ways to do it. And, folks, keep in mind, we take your uh, suggestions, too, for our book of the month here. We also, if you mention for Kelly and Company, your message, and you have some feedback for us, we'll try to put you on air. 1-866-509-4545. Love to hear from you. 1-866-509-4545. If you just want to send a message, maybe you've got questions about AMI-TV. What's going on over there? AMI-Tele or AMI-audio will be getting uh, really clued in on some cool stuff happening on there shortly. Uh, You can always send an email to feedback at AMI.ca. Ask your question. They'll direct that email to the best person. Feedback at AMI.ca. On Twitter, at AMI-audio. That's the handle. Follow along that way, at AMI-audio. You can see what's happening from segment to segment. I'm Kelly McDonald. Host of the program in the London, Ontario Home Studio, Rami Amuthan, and she's at the Home Studio in Toronto.
5: Well,
1: where do we go when we have all these technology questions and we say, hey, there was that Google event. We want to know what happened. Let's turn to Michael Babcock for our Tech Talk.
2: It's time for Talking Tech with Michael, bringing you a shot of technology news to get your week going with sprinkles of assistive technology.
1: And these weren't just hypotheticals, Michael, because it's true.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Most the, the time they are. He's the fountain he's of Michael, Michael today. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hey. Hey. Real quick, I want to tell you guys a secret. Yeah. This is actually my way of finding out if my wife really listens to me. Don't tell her, but I accidentally, on purpose today, drilled a hole through my desk. Uh, so, uh, just so you know, XLR cables are a little bit bigger than you thought they were. So we'll see how this turns <laughs> out. <laughs>
1: I'm so excited for the feedback.
0: <laughs> I'm excited oh to gosh. see if she listens.
1: Me too. Yeah. <laughs> or finds out some other way and
2: keeps us posted.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and if she comes barging in yelling at you, you got to let us listen. Well, yeah. Till yeah. the swearing she's, starts.
2: She's, she's 15 miles away. I don't think we have to worry oh. about that. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: Unless okay. she's really loud, that well, swear words won't make it
2: do that yeah.
1: but he, you've got a gate on right you're okay so google did have an event earlier this month and can you review with us what was announced
2: yeah so google had an event earlier this month that, that really was to be expected they uh held it in new york city by the google store which Honestly, maybe I'm not as into tech I thought I was, but I didn't realize there was Google stores, which is kind of cool. Uh, They announced phones, watches, Tablets, uh, tablets coming in 2023 and the earbud buds, Uh, the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro was announced running the Tensor 2 processor. And longtime tech followers may know that Tensor is the Google processor that Google started using in the Pixel 6. They talked about the design process and how uh, all of their products um, attach and work well together. The uh, Pixel Watch has me intrigued. I have not ordered one. I reached out to Google to say, hey, will you send me one? Because if they send me one, well, that would be cool. Otherwise, I will probably order one after Steven Scott plays with his a little bit to see if it's actually worth it since he already ordered one. There are going to be five years of security updates for the Pixel device. The Pixel 7 has a 6.3-inch display, and the Pixel 7 Pro has a 6.7-inch display. Uh, the 3 has a rear camera, a three-camera array on the rear of it. And here's what I thought was kind of cool. It looks like both of the devices come with, and this is something that a lot of apps Apple users have been calling for both in-screen fingerprint reader and face unlock. So I believe you can do either or or both, which is super exciting uh, for being able to unlock your device and and get Mm -hmm. access. Now, let's talk about a couple of the features that they announced. With messages in the Pixel device, you can send voice messages. And this has me excited because I have a lot of friends, and I hope this comes to WhatsApp, who think that, you know, A voice message is a podcast, so they want to record a 15-minute voice message, and I don't got time to listen to a 15-minute voice message, so Google is now giving you the ability to get a text transcript of that voice message, so you can actually listen to that. Uh, and then the last feature I want to mention about the Pixel 7 and 7 Pro is the... Uh, Pixel devices have Google Assistant call screening, which has been around for a little while. And if someone called me, I can press a button to say to have Google Assistant ask the person, "Hey, who are you? What do you want? And why are you calling me?" In nicer, politically correct terms of of saying
0: that. Yeah, yeah, but you've got to come up with that. You've alienated enough PC, people, and, and he's he's alienated <laughs> enough people, so he has to be. Uh, my friends leave too long of messages, and I wonder if the wife's really listening. (laughs)
2: But one of the things that they added to this, and and this is cool, is if you call a a company that has an IVR or automated phone system, Mm -hmm. it will show that automated phone system with text recognition or with voice recognition on the screen so you can tap the option that you want, which means you don't have to listen for the option. And then, of course, Google Assistant has been able to do this for a while. will also wait on hold for you Uh, and then guided frame is a a accessibility feature that they've added to the camera that allows you to get feedback based on taking selfies and it does an automatic countdown so hopefully uh, you can get a better selfie in your picture and yes iPhone does Similar feature by providing you feedback and telling you if your face is in frame, but I have a friend who has dexterity issues, and when she presses the volume button to be able to take the picture, she often moves her phone unintentionally out Mm -hmm, of focus, and so this means she doesn't have to push any buttons now. Uh, and then the Pixel Watch, we'll talk more about that in the near future because uh, I want some more experience with playing with it, but it looks super sleek, and uh, it is available, and hopefully TalkBack will work better on the Pixel Watch than it does on <clears throat> other watch devices.
0: Uh, Microsoft also had an event last week. What was announced at this particular event?
2: Okay. Hopefully I won't spend as much time talking about that, but we will see. Microsoft did have their event last week. Uh, They did announce pricing and release dates for the accessibility kit that we had talked about earlier when uh, Microsoft had their event. Uh, They also are releasing a Surface Pro 9, a Surface Studio and two accessories that are meant to improve hybrid meeting experience. And this is a remote control that you can use that will allow you to connect to teams and mute and unmute yourself and uh, other functionality, which is super exciting. And the Microsoft audio dock. And this is intriguing. It's a little more pricier than I would think, says the guy who took $2,000 worth of equipment over the weekend and used the MacBook air microphones, Uh, but it, 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 It is $249. You plug your computer into it, and it gives you both a audio speaker and a microphone that you can use in order to uh, connect and sound better on your meetings. Uh, And as I said, they also did announce that the uh, Microsoft Adaptive Kits will be available come, I believe it's October 25th, and they're available in the US and Canada, and you can purchase them to uh, either use as buttons, so you can push a button to make things happen, or they have adaptive mice or or mouse that you want to use that you just change the tail on it and you can be able to to switch it from left to right hand or give it additional functionality if you want
1: okay so there's a lot of uh, accessibility to keep in mind with all of these different things you've pointed out and we're going to go back to google in a second but why isn't siri waiting for me in on hold just how many phone calls i avoid because i don't want to wait on hold
2: Why isn't Siri doing a lot of other things aside from just waiting on hold? I I don't have that answer, Mm -hmm. but I agree with your sentiment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Google has announced some new keyboard shortcuts for Calendar, um, and you are going to tell us what keystrokes we should be aware of.
2: Yeah, so keyboard shortcuts in Google Calendar have been around for a while and the one keyboard shortcut that I use all the time is the letter C and that's where I go to compose and that's how I remember, compose a calendar event and uh, you may need to enable the keyboard shortcut functionality at calendar.google.com. You would simply choose settings uh, located in the top right corner and then go down to keyboard shortcuts Cut section and then it'll say enable keyboard shortcut you tap on or, or press enter on yes now one thing that I want to keep people in mind of is if you're using jaws you'll need to disable virtual viewer uh, jaws key plus the letter Z like Zulu or if you're using NVDA you want to disable the browse mode with jaws uh, <laughs> with NVDA key plus space and then you can be able to use your keystrokes now you can easily manipulate the calendar to show what type of uh, view you want simply by using the keys one through four, and that'll change you to day, week, uh, work week, month, etc. cetera. Uh, but you can then use your arrow keys up and down to navigate to previous and next uh, installment of that specific view, left and right to go to a, a next element. So if you're a month view, you can go up and down to move to the month and then left and right to move around the month. And then uh, the the tab key, I think is very important that a lot of people forget about because uh it it doesn't uh, seem too obvious but if you for example find tomorrow's date and so you find tuesday and week view if you press your tab key this will let you cycle through the events on that specific day tap the letter c again to compose you can press enter to edit or delete or backspace to delete an event off of your calendar
0: nice good very good um Can you remind us how to have the best experience with the Google products and screen readers?
2: Yeah, so two things. Number one, check the settings for the Google product that you're using, Gmail, Calendar, Docs, Sheets, et cetera. Uh, make sure that keyboard shortcuts are enabled in these settings for that specific product. In addition, Google Docs and Sheets and Slides specifically have an accessibility mode. And you can go into the settings to be able to find that or in a on a Windows or Chromebook, Control-Alt-Z, which is also the same keystroke to a enable ChromeVox will also enable the accessibility mode for you. Uh, On a Mac, that would be command option Z, I believe, if I remember right. Uh, And then once you've done that, you want to go in and what I do for Google Docs specifically, because I don't use slides or sheets as much as maybe I should, but for Google Docs, I'll go in and I'll go into the settings and I'll choose accessibility and I'll enable Braille mode because that seems to give me a little bit more feedback from the screen reader. And then last thing I want to mention is in the accessibility section of google docs specifically there is more information uh, that you can turn on or turn off
1: okay a lot of the big service providers are being mentioned today because amazon uh, had announced some accessibility resources on top tech tidbits can you share some of these resources with us
2: Yeah, so Amazon has cleaned up uh, and made it easier to navigate their accessibility page for Amazon. They've also highlighted the phone number that's available to call in your region in order to get assistance with accessibility. But Amazon is uh, making some improvements to the A-Lady applications, and they're also uh, making some improvements to the way that product descriptions are read. I didn't know this. I don't know if you guys knew this, but you can call Amazon. Amazon accessibility, tell them the product that you're looking at, and they can give you more verbose information about what that mm. product is and how it looks in the picture. I've just used Ira for this, but apparently that is a, a right. solution for you as well.
1: And how long are they willing to spend with you? Like, can you go through millions of products with them because there's so many options?
2: I mean, I, I suspect <laughs> there's a reasonable solution. I don't know She's if my like, wife like, could will they call go down the do the, rabbit the shoe hole shopping with that me. she likes to do. <laughs>
1: right. <laughs> <laughs> and you can get
2: more information about amazon accessibility just do a quick search for amazon accessibility it'll take you right to their accessibility page and uh, then you can get the details about making phone calls to amazon as well as uh, what resources are available for you
1: okay this is great. I mean, it, I love how specific that is, though, because it's true. You're going through Amazon and you're you're always or most likely if you have low vision, uh, going to get some kind of sighted assistance to make sure what mm-hmm. you're getting is what you're getting. There's no real sense of um, browsing without that extra bit of information or you're willing to take the risk, whatever. But I've definitely mm-hmm. ordered things where I'm like, oh, man, I should have got someone to look at
2: that for me. And if colors are important to you, now we're moving yeah. away from color words to sage. Well, What is sage? Like, sage? That, is that red? Yep. Is that green? Like, I, I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm appreciative of that. Thank you, Michael. We're going to wrap it there, and we'll talk to you next week.
2: Of course. You guys have a beautiful rest of your show. Thank you. Thank
0: you, sir.
1: Michael Babcock joining us on our Tech Talk, and that's every Monday, giving us piles of technology information.
0: <laughs> it is interesting with the names of colors. Yeah. But then you have a swatch or something to be able to tell the the color if you can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it gets a bit like tough. when
1: the color itself is still in the name. Like metallic that's right. gray. Okay, yeah. there's gray in there.
0: Yeah, and that's pretty all well you know about <laughs> it, right? <laughs> Sounds right. like somebody's automobile. Uh, folks, we'll step aside here. And when we return, Brock Richardson returns with us to the program. He'll have our weekly sports update. He's the host and producer of The Neutral Zone. Stick around. Thanks for being uh, with us on a Monday edition of the program. You know, we left a lot of things, folks, on the table with Michael's segment. So many things to get into when he uh, shows up. Uh, But he covered a lot of territory, too. And you're just reading so much that's coming out from these different presentations that are happening, Ramya. It's, It's pretty amazing.
1: It is, and there's so much great specific information for, you know, your kind of disability or solution or accommodation that's very, very helpful, and I love how Michael goes through all that for us.
0: Yeah, it's a nice way to zero in on the things that, you know, something may not matter to you, or or that might be the difference to make something matter to you uh, when when he takes that angle or any of our contributors do, and I just I love that because there's so many things I think, I don't know, I hear, hear of that, I'd never use it, and then when they break it down, it's like, oh... Oh, it's simpler than I thought, and accessible. So really nice. Time to get into a little sports conversation. The host and producer of The Neutral Zone joins us, Brock Richardson.
5: As a former athlete, I eat, sleep, and breathe everything sports. I'm Brock Richardson. Join me every Monday for your weekly sports highlights and our take on the weekend action.
0: Brock, thanks for being with us on a Monday. Nice to have you after a busy weekend in sports. What's your lead off?
5: So I have two things for you. Um, Number one is that we learned yesterday that Andrew Wiggins was re-signing or extending himself with the Golden State Warriors, $109 million over four years. Uh, The reason I bring that one to you is because, for those of you that don't remember, Wiggins is in fact Canadian, so... Uh, very cool and uh, the Golden State Warriors always have this way of figuring out how to be in the mix when the season comes to a close they're just they know how to play basketball in that culture and how much they've won over time I just think it it breathes into it so Andrew Wiggins is obviously a piece that they're going to continue to uh, build around so that's kind of cool news. Uh,
0: any thoughts from you on that one, Kelly? Uh, not a bad price. Um, I think that's pretty good for someone of his talent. If things, I, I know a lot of time we said, where is he? When's he going to show up and be Andrew Wiggins that uh, we talked about as he emerged onto the scene? We're seeing a lot more of that now. His, his his importance to that team is paying off, especially as you put the right people around him, and especially as some of the others are, are starting to age and they're adding those younger pieces to it. He's still able to, to be there to do and we're seeing that ah that's the Andrew Wiggins that we wanted to see that maturity and that growth so 109 four years yeah I don't think too bad not cheap certainly not like a a home you know not a hometown discount if he if he had signed with the Raptors or anything like that uh and and thought of doing something like that but definitely um I think uh, makes people start saying hey and we know that the money's there in the NBA to do it
5: yes it is 100 percent and you know I I I just look at something like that, you know. I I look at an Andrew Wiggins and I think, you know, wouldn't he just fit so nicely on the Toronto Raptors? Nice uh, Canadian story, sure, but he does fit nicely with what Golden State is trying to do. And you know, you always have to have that piece to kind of build yourself around. And and I think they've they've done that. So it's well, it's, I love him playing good.
0: for Team Canada. So if we can get him that much, I'll be happy if that's his involvement with Canadian soil.
5: Agreed, one hundred percent. Uh 2nd leadoff item is that Canada uh, played wheelchair rugby and they finished fifth overall at the World Championships. They um, lost their quarterfinal against the United States, 53-51. Uh, but then they went on to beat both New Zealand and France to ultimately give them a fifth-place finish.
1: Oh, Okay, so would you categorize that kind of event as a success or... A disappointment
5: we are right smack dab in the middle of our quadrennial in sports uh when you look at the olympic and paralympic calendar i, I think with the team that they have built around um them speaking of pieces you know they've got um travis Morrell and zach modell who are both paralympic veterans i think if you cornered uh, wheelchair rugby canada and said, was this a success? I, I f- feel like the answer would be yes, because it puts them in a good position uh, for the Paralympic Games. But then you'd also have to ask them, if we're looking at this from a perspective of a world championship, I think they were hoping that they uh, would have got on the podium. Uh, they they lost a game uh, over the tournament where, you know, you kind of look at this and you kind of think, okay, had we won that one, we would have finished you know, second in the pool, and then we would have had a, quote-unquote, easier opponent, which would not have resulted in, in the United States. It would have been someone of a lesser uh, quality, for sure. But I think, overall, if you look at this and you say, well, we're halfway through the quadrennial, we want to get to the Paralympic Games, we have bigger goals, yeah, it's probably a success, but if we split it up and say, was it a success for the World Championships? I would argue probably not.
0: Okay, sir. All right, very good. Um, Last week we missed you because of the holiday. There's something you've been kind of wanting to give us an update on something you've kept us posted so far on.
5: Yes, so uh, as you know, Hockey Canada has been under a lot of fire due to the things that have gone on, and they have um, made it so that their board of directors is – completely gone. So there will be new uh board of directors. The hope is that by December uh there will be a new uh board in place. I, I do think that this is the the step that needs to take place. I don't necessarily think we're done. I think we need to the board only does so much. I think we need to look at from top to bottom where we are. But as, as I've said in in many different ways we need to see physical change and i believe this is a this the start of this and it's it's kind of a big deal for canadians to look and say well this is the thing that we can you know point our finger to and say we 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 can see change the other big question kelly that i'm curious what you would say how important for you do you believe a name change is for hockey canada or is not
0: I think people make something out of name changes. The reality is, you want a cultural change. The reality is, it's going to take time for people to even remotely buy into the fact that you've made these changes. You have to really foster your culture of transparency. in In my opinion, mm-hmm. bringing it, it's like when people say, "Bring those big names in." of people who have who have dealt with some of the stuff, yes, yeah, yeah, okay, but we also have the basic function of what hockey Canada is to be. There are some terrible mistakes that have been made here. People needed to be, be, they needed a different look, needed different people. But at the grassroots of what Hockey Canada does, it still has to function. This has all been set up where these other leagues that are running, that are underneath, if you want to call it that, or or, um, respond to Hockey Canada, are doing so. They're able to carry on and function. We need them to, first and foremost, do what they're supposed to do. And we need certain transparency to show that, some of the ridiculous ideas that have been allowed to permeate and stink up the place are Mm -hmm. gone and not returning. Yeah, I agree. Go ahead, Rami.
1: If I could just add, and I think you're really right about that part, Kels, where people make something out of dot, dot, dot. And when you say name change, Brock, I think that... Even if we know you know change the name of Hockey Canada, we laughed a couple of weeks ago about, about you know Justin Trudeau's take on all that and and think, well yeah, but that doesn't really mean anything. No. but I think for us as people, we need that signifying factor. We need to that symbolism of change being happening and that people aren't dragging their feet on this. and if that means a name change that that that's gonna make this uh, feel, Like something's happening for us because that's the way we perceive it, then it would make a difference, right?
5: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I think to your point, though, Romeo. When we did laugh about it last week, I I think there was a portion of what Justin Trudeau said regarding: Look, if you guys think you're the only ones that can run Hockey Canada, Mm -hmm. you you have to be kidding. And and you know there are there are many Canadians that are you know suited to do the job. Who that, rem- who that is remains to be seen, of course, but it, it almost felt like to me like Hockey Canada was, you know, sort of feeling like, oh, we're in- invisible and we don't, we don't, we can't be touched. Oh, uh, yeah, well, yeah. okay, take, take away money from everybody and watch how fast people say, no, I, I can't do this anymore because... At the end of all this, money is the, the moving factor in all this. And it, and if some of the big sponsors have come out and said, look, we're not funding this because we don't see a change. And and when you have no money, you guys can be as bullish as you want and say we're going to stay in, in place. But the fact is, if you have no money, you can't run an organization. And it, it's just that simple. And I, I think that that's sort of, you know, Justin Trudeau to me was sort of the jumping point of everyone realizing, well, even though we're kind of laughing and it's kind of, in ingest what he's saying, he's got a point, and some of the sponsors may have turned around and said, "No, we're not doing this." Because shortly thereafter, a whole bunch of sponsors said, "Yeah, about the money you thought you were getting, no mas." Yeah, but so. what,
0: but what sponsors want to be associated with that? And that's really what it comes down to. It's bad business for them. And that's what some people will have the attitude. Oh, they're just doing that because it's bad business. We all know nobody needs anything huge to fall on them to know what was being done was wrong. Uh, You can spin it and justify how come and and come up with any answer you want. But, you know, you have a a building filled with manure. Putting a new paint job on it doesn't change what it is. No, and You do need a, a sense of a different way of looking at things and people to take ownership and say, okay, we made mistakes, so we're stepping aside. You can't have yeah. such a big ego that, I'm the only person that can run this. It doesn't matter what we decide or do. We're doing it for the better. You can't move us out of here. Goodbye.
5: Yeah. The other thing I, I want to point out, because it was a narrative that I saw and I've continued to see, is that national sports organizations, uh, also referred to as NSOs, also, this is you're putting yourself on notice to make sure that your ducks are in a row and you know what's going on in your sports organization because again, if we're sitting here and acting like Hockey Canada is the only one to make mistakes, we we need to look at that too because other national sports organizations will need to be sure that everything in their organization, whether sexual assault or something you know else. Everyone needs to be aligned and and knowing that they're doing this. And trust me, the government is probably thinking, "Let's go check out some other NSOs and seeing what we can what we can find here and and make sure that you know our t's are crossed and di- and eyes are dotted." I I think that that's a real big thing. So to me, NSOs National Sports Organization, you have now been put on notice to make sure that your ducks are in a row because. There, you cannot be naive to think, again, Hockey Canada is the only one to do this, and that's simple. So no.
1: watch and yeah. learn and yeah. lead by example. Uh, before we got to go, the Toronto Blue, Shays, Blue Jays were eliminated since the last time you joined us. So, what do you think the biggest need is for the team at this point?
5: The biggest need is pitching, the biggest need is you need to have. Another starter or two in there that's going to solidify this team. The other real big need is you need to have a left-handed bat in the middle of this order to make something happen. This this lineup is very right-handed heavy. Yes, the talent is there. I hear all that, but we've got to see change in some way, shape, or form. We cannot be like the Toronto Maple Leafs where we just run everything back and say we're going to get this done eventually because that's been proven it's not working. There has to be some significant change on this team to make them a better team. Yes, the talent is there. No one argues that, but you need to add pieces around this. And to me, there's a reason John Snyder hasn't been Extended? Do I think that's ultimately what's going to happen? Yes, but nobody gave him a ra- ringing endorsement. So we need to decide what we're doing with the manager before we can move on beyond that.
0: Mm-hmm. Going to be a lot of parts that have to be moved around. People who we love and think are great out there for that team, you won't see them next March when when spring training opens. Some of them are going to have to be used to make some moves. But Brock, it's so hard because we keep making moves and still keep coming up short even when people fully believe on paper, this is the best team. Thanks, pal. Thank you. Brock Richardson, of course, hits us with the latest sports on Mondays. He's got great updates and uh, some great thoughts that he shares with us on the program. Plus, check him and the gang out on The Neutral Zone, Tuesdays 11 a.m. on AMI-audio, also available on YouTube as a video podcast. Up next, Michelle Tatcher. Uh, excuse me, Michelle Tocher uh, will be, uh, will be t- uh, here to talk to us a little bit about an interesting drama we're going to hear on AMI-audio. Please stick around here on Kelly and Company. Welcome back to the program. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, right here on AMI-audio, and of course, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Joita speaks to Tim Martin of York University about the way documentaries cover homelessness and mental illness. This is in his Canadian Journal of Disability Studies article narrating the housing crisis, encountering madness, homelessness, and Neoliberal neoliberal uh, logic uh, in these film-based narratives. That's The Pulse, this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on AMI-audio. The show is also available uh, as a video podcast, uh, as well as on your favorite podcast platform. Kelly McDonald here with Rami Amuthan.
1: Okay, Kels. We love keeping people posted on things to come up on AMI-TV, on AMI-audio, upcoming content or initiatives. So we're keeping you posted on Mondays. We're, we're locking this segment in. So we're meeting, meeting today Michelle Talker. She's an author and a storyteller. And we're going to talk about The Departure Train, which is something that she worked on. And this is an audio drama about a woman who dies and boards a train in the afterlife very mysterious. So, Michelle, welcome to Kelly and Company. Thank you for joining us.
6: Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here.
1: I'm really looking forward to talking about the departure (laughs) training. We have a whole bunch of questions on that. But before that, can we talk about you and writing? What do you enjoy writing? What have you uh, written that we may know about already? What's uh, going on there?
6: Hmm. Well, I've written um, some books that are, most of my books are, are a mix of fiction and non-fiction. Mm -hmm. although I've written a few fiction books as well. Um, But I really love writing between worlds and um, looking at personal experiences in this world and in the mythological sort of moving in between these two worlds. So one of the books that um, is fairly well known is a book called How to Ride a Dragon, which is uh, the stories of women who are dragon boating after breast cancer. And uh, they told their personal stories while they wove it with dragon mythology and wow. looked at at their cancer from the point of view of a, an experience of meeting a dragon. So is it the
1: characters that um, that you dive deeper into with these merging of two worlds, the weaving of, or is it the, the world building itself?
6: Yeah, it's... Um, it's a little bit of both. It's the encounter with the mythological world or the, the the imagined world. So I draw a lot on traditional mythology and folklore and fairy tales. Um, I'm really interested in the motifs that continue to move through the psyche of the human race and the ones that we encounter when we're dealing with different things in life that are challenging, especially, mm-hmm. uh, and how do we move through those things in life and how can the the mythological world, the imagined realm, help us to move through these things.
1: Right. Like an amplified what-if scenario, but making it very imaginative.
6: Yeah. Yeah. That's quite interesting. That's
1: right.
0: Because yeah. there's always that kind of um, when you think about that mythological world or or anything like that, we we can find that that interesting similarity. Like I think about a dragon, and when you, you speak cancer, you know we think of obviously battling that that beast. But what's a dragon, you know, and the the the, the fire of it, it? There's so many little things that each person aren't they gonna gonna kind of pick up on their own and where they're going to interpret it as well, or or feel that connection in, in whatever way most um, is amplified to them.
6: Yeah, that's right, Kelly. And it, and it was interesting in the book how all the different women um, really wrote their own dragon story, and some yeah. of them mythologized their dragon as um, a very dangerous um, beast, kind of like in the Western world, that's the way we've depicted the dragon, and and um, a number of the other women in the book saw their dragon more as an Eastern dragon, so m- with a more of a beneficial role, bringing the mm-hmm. rain and bringing healing, and associated it with the dragon boating experience itself, which is a, a very healing experience. So, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, that's fascinating to me. Thank you for sharing uh, that example. And maybe we can move into the departure train because this is something that we're very much anticipating here on AMI-audio um, <laughs> as we you know, lead up and amp up to hearing it. But it, the story itself, as I mentioned, a, a bit of a synopsis, not really at the beginning, um, with some great characters and this mystery involved. So can you tell us a little more about what is the departure train?
6: Okay, so it's a it's a story about um, a woman named Audrey, as you were saying in the beginning, who um, dies at the age of eighty-seven, and she boards a train in the afterlife, and she's just given her daughters parting gifts. Um, she's given them what she's described as her best wish, and she doesn't know how that's going, what that's going to look like, but she is sure that it is going to. There are these eggs, and she knows that these eggs are going to open for them. And so she gets on the train, and she's feeling all elated and, and and unshackled and free. And then the train proceeds. And I won't tell you all the details, but essentially she realizes that in order for her daughters to actually receive these gifts of love, um, she's going to have to need some things in the afterlife on this mm. train journey.
0: Wow. Michelle, I always find it fascinating when people when you get your idea. I've done a little bit of writing um for, for plays and that and just something I hear, something, oh, that's a conversation I might be eavesdropping on or a song or something I see on a TV show or whatever. Um, sometimes just doing something, oh I'm washing dishes and hey, something yeah. happens that makes you start a seed of an idea and it goes, can you tell us about what was going on? What when you first started to get this, it started to form and grew.
6: Yes. Okay. Um, well, it came to me ab- about six months after my mother had died, and um, I was uh, I was feeling kind of numb, and I was in that kind of aftermath grieving state. I really wasn't expecting to write a story about the you know a woman boarding a train in the afterlife it really came to me um in a quite a remarkable way because it was suddenly with me and i suddenly felt this illumination and i needed to write it out and i quickly wrote it uh, out the, the the bones of the story and i for the first time after my mom passed i wept and i I felt my mother's blessing in this story. It was very real and present for me. And um, I, I rediscovered it a little while later, and then I wrote it out as a as a full short story, not a long one, just a, a readable length. Um, and then I shared it with Nicole Ahrens, who's the director for The Departure Train, and she was the one who said, hey, do you think that this could be made into a play? Mm. Um, and... There it went. It started wow. to unfold.
0: Can you mention? You said you wrote down quickly, and and I understand that feeling as well because you're so afraid of an idea going away. But sometimes there's another reason that we suddenly got to put this down. Got to put this down. Like you said, you put it down, and then you revisit and expand upon it. Was there that just that? I don't want to. I don't want to forget. Or do we go back to some of that urgency and support? From from your late mom, or or what made you and do you feel get the idea and just put down what you're doing and start highlighting?
6: Yeah, it really did feel like, and it, you know, this is my my felt experience of it, but it it did feel like like something that came from my mother because it was my mother was so in the story. Um, she was it, Audrey is reaching out to her daughters in this. Play and my, I felt that through Audrey, my mother was reaching out to me, and um, and giving me that feeling of being loved that was stronger than anything that I felt, frankly, in my life. It was a very, very powerful uh, feeling of movement and uh, joy and catharsis and grief and and um, mother love.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it it came from that place for you, right? From the idea, from the place you were at, and then um, expanding and flourishing into this huge project with so much support and collaboration as well. Does the tone come through? Like all these emotions you just mentioned, um, does that come through in the tale?
6: Yes, it does. And it has been um, expressed by people as being a cathartic experience because uh-huh, they go sure. through something on the journey. And right. it because it's in our ears, it feels very much like um, you're getting on a train with her, you know, and you're taking the ride and going through her life and right. um, having these experiences with her. So you definitely go through a, uh, an experience with her.
0: You mentioned Nicole a moment ago. was the idea for this to get to become a an audio drama as you wrote it was when did that first come to be?
6: yeah, well, and in, in, in initially, um Nicole had envisioned it to be a stage play. And we did a reading at the Gladstone in two thousand and eighteen. We did a staged reading, and um the actors brought a lot of themselves to it, but it was still a reading. Um, And we got a lot of feedback from people. And one of the things that was challenging was because this train is moving through all these periods of time, people need to know where they are in space and time. And so we realized after that that we really needed to write something that was a bit more sonically immersive so that people would know where they were without being without needing to be told they would know from the sound cues and what was going on in the scene exactly where in time they were so that was a great challenge and i wrote a sonically immersive script before covid so when covid happened we were kind of ready for it and excited Mm -hmm. about going in this direction
1: well, I mean, just in this conversation alone, I feel like we've touched on uh, so much to do with timing, right? The past and the present and the afterlife. And uh, and then, of course, the evolution of this short story becoming an audio play. Michelle, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. And we're looking forward to the AMI-audio airing of the departure train as well.
6: Well, thank you for having me, Rania. that's It's really been great to be here. Thank you.
1: Hope to chat with you soon. Talk later.
6: Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.
1: We were speaking about The Departure Train, written by Michelle Talker, and this is going to air Saturday, October 29th, two days before Halloween, and Sunday, October 30th at 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio.
0: On the other side of the break, the second hour of Kelly and Company, Leanne Barda will be sharing fun, inclusive ways to enjoy Halloween this year. Also, Brenda McPhail of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association discusses the use and misuse of facial recognition technology. But up next, tune into Nature at its finest at the Van Dusen Botanical Garden uh, in Vancouver. Community reporter, Carol Yuppel brings the highlights to us. Stick around to the program Ramya Amuthan and Kelly McBrown the world joining us. Remember, check out the Kelly & Company podcast. You can subscribe using your favorite podcatcher and simply just settle back and listen to the show in segment form or the complete Kelly & Company podcast experience will be tossed on an audio vanity card. Whatever way you enjoy listening to the program, we're with you. We love it. We just appreciate you being on board with us. Well, on... Mondays, that's what today is, and Tuesdays, we visit with our community reporters generally, and we get a chance to find out about the things going on in their regions. So today we bring in Carol Yeapol, uh from uh, British Columbia to join us on the program, and we get to see what's happening out there. Carol, welcome back. Nice to have you with us, of course, again. Wonderful to be here. Thank you. Well, I like this first one. We get thinking about it, and especially as this part of Canada, we start heading into the winter. You start, oh, boy, I could really use some flowers, plants, and that kind of thing. Uh, Let's talk about Van Dusen Garden Harvest Days. Uh, What is this Botanical Gardens?
7: Yeah, well, this is a really nice event, and I don't know if you've heard that we've had the best weather out here this fall. It's been kind of remarkable, really.
0: Just, just a moment. So, I'm going to have these guys disconnect you for saying that. Now, come on now. You're teasing us.
7: <laughs> you? <laughs> I'm sorry to tell you. We we could use some rain, but in the meantime, for those of us with a visual impairment, I must say being able to get out and about oh, has been yes. so wonderful. And this Van Dusen um, Garden it used to be a golf course, and it's 55 acres wow. in the middle of town. And there's a big fairway. It used to be a fairway. Now it's a great lawn, and it's surrounded by 7,500 species of of rare plants and, and trees.
0: And so, so accessible these days, to get to.
7: Well, it's easy to get to nice. on the bus, and right. it's right in the middle of town. But the more important thing for me, using my white cane in the garden, mm-hmm. Is that because this is a special festival and it's a special place and it's designed with wide paths, there are no bikes, there's no scooters, people aren't on their phones, people are there in the garden. And so it allowed me to feel like I could have, you know, a peaceful nature experience there.
0: Wow. Wow. And And how about, as you say, with your cane, getting around that walking, that feeling comfortable, not just feeling you had to stop and stay sitting somewhere?
7: Yeah, that's right. And I think it's because uh, I, unlike Stanley Park here, let us say, where people are you know mm-hmm. running around always, there is an admission for this festival. it's It's eight dollars and sixty cents, but it opens at ten. It stays open until five. And I went on the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend and stayed for four hours.
0: Nice. So, what? It
7: was such a beautiful experience. There are food trucks. There was fiddle music. Um, I like to touch the plants myself, too.
0: Mm
3: -hmm.
7: So, I don't know about you,
0: but. I'm curious about your textures. Anything particular that, as you checked out, that maybe you had never really touched before or that was an interesting texture as well as the nose what did the nose tell you as you went through
7: oh well thanks for that question um the leaves because it's been so dry there's this amazing fragrance in the air mm. of just the drying leaves and I don't know if that speaks to you the smell of fall oh, yes. It it it's really quite something and there are even some roses still there that you can smell and as far as um touch goes they have the famous vancouver cedar trees the red cedars and that bark is really rough and interesting to the touch and ferns i don't know whenever i'm on a path i just kind of reach out and touch what's there
0: i love it um and the thing that i find really interesting cuz i love fall Um, before we we move on to your next stuff. Uh, What I really love with with something like this is not only is it a botanical garden, you get a a whole bunch of organized stuff there to check out, available to you at your fingertips, and and that you can smell and just walk through and experience. Every location, every town, every city, every countryside has that feel of of fall, particularly whenever that season comes along, wherever, there's going to be different sounds, smells, so it's always a unique experience. But when you go to something like a botanical garden set up like this to enjoy that time, of the year uh wow you 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 can't lose can you
7: no i really really enjoyed it and they'll also i went by myself with my white cane but there were lots of families there and it is billed as a sort of family friendly event so they have things for kids and it's all set up to be enjoyed by all
1: amazing Carol, can we talk about the next item, which is also really, really fantastic? It's the Vancouver Writers' Fest.
7: Yeah, that's right. Well, I picked one outdoor event and one indoor event mm-hmm. and one virtual event, just because nice. I feel like going into fall, it's good to keep, you know, kind of all everything going. And the Writers' Fest this year, it's the 35th annual. It's a very beloved event out here, and it's in another central location in Vancouver called Granville Island and it's also very accessible by the bus and this year they're actually offering uh, upon request free tickets for companions for those with disabilities so I'm going to attend tonight the opening event it opens tonight October 17 and it runs until the 23rd and I think there are 80 events with 115 writers so it's it's a very very big event here in town.
1: And what kinds of things um can people who show up expect? What what can we take part in? Well,
7: I don't know about you, but I like I like audiobooks, but I also like to have people read to me. Yes. yes. <laughs> so I think this is a mix of of interviews. There are there are interviews with authors, but then there are authors that are just reading their own work uh, on Friday night, there's a poetry bash, which I think is a mashup of a, a number of different poets. That's and fun. there's actually a free event on October nineteenth. It's a online event that you can register for with Buffy St Marie. This is a really sort great. of Canadian singer, songwriter, yeah. legend, yeah.
1: I know, and and the the kinds of books that are being uh, highlighted or featured, I guess the writers as well, um, we're talking non-fiction and fiction, so really there's something for everybody.
7: Oh, yes, I think so, and yeah. writers from all over the world. There are a number of Canadian writers, of course, but um, it's an international representation, always. Mm. Mm,
0: very nice. We'll put that up so on the board. So that's Writers, oh, go writers
7: ahead. Fest dot bc dot ca and okay. the box office okay. number is seven seven eight six five eight oh four six
0: two awesome we'll also get that up on the blog ami.ca slash kelly co and let's get into a little bit of virtual fitness with chair yoga
7: well um the thing is that once we get inside i always find okay how am i going to keep it going right on so there's <laughs> There's an organization out here called BC Blind Sports, and they offer online fitness and chair yoga classes. So actually, I'm doing the fitness, not the chair yoga, but both are offered. And for an annual fee of $15, you can use Zoom and have these one-hour programs described by people who know how to work with people who have a visual impairment. And that's, I think, really an important feature.
0: Yeah, I think as a way of um, obviously describing and obviously just speaking so that you following along, especially the new people, the last thing you want when you're trying something or jumping into a group like this, you don't want any discouragement.
7: Right. And also the being very specific about yes. their instruction and, like, which is my where is my left arm going and yeah. and how is it lifting, and is it facing the wall or is it facing you know so they're they're experienced in doing that description part
0: there's a lot of um and when you would you join any fitness group particularly, there's so much unless they're really aware of you, unless who's leading it is really good at there's so much of the follow me along, do what I do, and 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 for us obviously that's not going to work. So something tailor made like this is really, really wonderful because otherwise you have everybody doing different things. I and mean, it's some kind of workout but may not be the one they want you to have. Yeah, that's right. That's an excellent point. So this also, can you do this year-round in this form, do you think, The virtual aspect of it, especially for some people who, whether it's summer or not, may not be able to to get out. uh, They keep this year-round, don't they?
7: Yes, they do. And in fact, the one that I'm involved in is the one that is fitness for the dragon boat racing that goes on during the summer. Right. So I did that one summer, and I just liked the instructor so much that I kept at it, but it, they run programs of, of all different sorts throughout the whole year. And and the virtual programming is also running all year.
0: That's amazing. And it's really interesting when you think about the Dragon Boating, how this, of course, works for everybody who needs to stay in that condition for what they're doing. But uh, I'm assuming anyone could join that, whether they wanted to join the Dragon Boating or not, and, and obviously reap the benefits.
7: Oh, yes, I think so.
0: That's mm-hmm. really amazing, really wonderful. And going back also to the uh, uh, the chair yoga, fantastic stuff as well. Uh, Carol, of course, thank you very much. Wonderful stuff, keeping us indoors with virtual, a little more indoors, but also with the season coming, really enjoying that harvest and the botanical garden out there. Thank you. Thank you. We will talk to you next month as we visit with our committee reporters, ladies and gentlemen, Mondays and Tuesdays, right here on Kelly and Company. Uh, Carol Yipple is our committee reporter in Vancouver, British Columbia, taking us on a wonderful trek today with her around and uh, lots of great information there. You want to check it out, go to the blog, ami.ca slash kellyco, where you can uh, check out links to her topics as we put those up there with our uh, reports that our committee reporters bring us on the program. We'll stop for just a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen, and on the other side of the break, Leanne Barda is going to share uh, inc- fun, inclusive ways to enjoy Halloween. It's going to have snacks and everything involved, folks. We know it. She's going to bring it to us. We'll talk to her after the break right here on Kelly and Company. I'm moving. Kelly MacDonald. We are the hosts of the show. And I have to ask, as we were talking about the uh, Botanical Garden, the Van Dusen Botanical Garden in Vancouver, when I asked the question and we think about fall, it really, I, I kept picturing it being there, hearing the voices, but the sounds, the smells, and what Carol was saying about the textures. And I don't really think a lot about textures other than leaves and stuff like that in the fall, but here, um, but when you think about the smell of the fall, uh, such wonderful things. Do you have a, a favorite smell of the fall?
1: Mm, pie? I don't know. But I, I did go on a really... Outside.
0: Well, you can buy pies outside.
1: <laughs> yeah, just like bakery smells, anything. Off those No, honestly, <laughs> roasting, <laughs> roasting vegetables, stuff like that. But aside from food, I did go on a really nice... Very early walk this morning, Kels. It was like the break of dawn, you know, seven a.m. So dark outside, but it was lovely. The smell and the crunch of the leaves. So what smell? The, I don't know. It's like the dampness the fall smell, smell,
0: the fall yeah. dampness, because that's heavy. I like the uh fresh leaf smell. That some almost well, and they probably are um from maple trees. The maple smell.
1: Oh, I love that too. We'll I get that here in Toronto. Ju- what? Don't get Did Toronto move out of
0: Canada? Canada? It's what happened? Of course you get it.
1: Do we? Oh, I've smelled different it from... Okay, well I have. Well, that's
0: because the subway blows it. it all around if you're downtown, yeah. and you got the streetcar electric smell. No, I'm, no, you, I've smelled it. You, you know, again, depends where you are. Uh, you certainly, I, I can't find just, it. yeah, because yeah, it's a wonderful smell. Leaves, though, I will say, they can be a bit of a drag. Anyway, uh, I digress as uh, we we get into uh, more of Kelly and Company, Ramya.
1: On the third Monday of every month, we're visited by Leanne Barda, our independent living skills specialist. And this is a monthly talk, and this is kind of the month of Halloween. So that's the topic today, accessible Halloween fun. Leanne, we have so much on our plate to get through today. This is awesome.
4: I know. So I'm looking forward to talking about it because Halloween is one of the things I really enjoy. And now that I have two young daughters, I can live vicariously through them and enjoy it all (laughs) over again. So I thought, you know, why not talk about Halloween this month, because there's so many things we can do to make it inclusive. So why don't we just jump right into it?
1: Okay, awesome. And so much highlight for sensory friendly inclusion during this conversation, right? So let's start with the kinds of activities we can try out uh, with our friends or family at home.
4: For sure. So some of the activities we can do, we want to create multi-sensory games for children who are blind or partially sighted. So if you're designing a haunted house, make sure to add spooky sounds or music or tactile objects on the floor like bubble wrap or uh, bowls with slime in them or, you know, anywhere you can make the path change with a different texture just to make it more exciting. You want to create a, like an element of fun and surprise, even, uh, you know, for everybody who's uh, who's trying to participate.
6: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: older kids might enjoy watching um you know those uh, audio describe Halloween movies or horror movies, which I personally will skip. Um, with with your um, with your described video turned on, you can all get spooked up together. and um, then maybe I can sort of avoid all the scary parts.
1: Aw, well, okay, I guess you won't be tuning in, but on Wednesday, Greg David, our TV guy, is going to talk about some awesome ones to check out. There's so many new releases on conventional TV and streaming, so check that out Wednesday if you're wondering. I know, good tease, good tease. Okay, now we've talked about pumpkin carving in the past. There are some good alternatives, too, that you have lined up. I have
4: been seeing so many alternatives to actually carving pumpkins these days. Like, I was in Buffalo a little while ago, and there were so many cool little, like, uh, sticker kits or, uh, Mr. Pumpkin, uh, like Mr. Potato Head style pieces where you just kind of, mm. uh, poke them into the pumpkin. Uh, you can use clay, you can use, uh, the new stickers and painting is a new, a new one. I saw one that was painted like an eyeball and it was so cool <laughs> and they did, they painted it white and then they, you can use a stencil to make like the iris and then they painted that part blue when, and, and with the black pupil and they put some like red lines to make the veins it was really neat
3: wow so So depending on how
4: how creative you want to get you can even get like glow-in-the-dark paint and so your pumpkin can glow in the dark even with that candle it'll look really awesome
1: nice and you know there's tools that always come about but if we're not really about using uh knives what else can we use to kind of get into our pumpkins
4: so there are a lot of these pumpkin carving kits, but I find like the little saws and the little tools they include are a little bit flimsy and they kind of fall apart. Uh, for people who are like really serious enthusiasts, they have like these um, sort of like plug-in Dremel tools with different, different parts on it. But um, one part that I always find that is such a pain in the butt is scooping out all the innards from the pumpkin. And uh, now people have suggested using an ice cream scoop to get in there. And, oh, true. Is so much easier because if you imagine the scoop is already curved, so it's going to get in there and get all those parts. So like you know, the I find that the the, the ribs inside where all of, all the seeds stick are really hard to get out sometimes. So with that ice cream scoop, it's going to go right through it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. Another thing you can do is um, use different shaped cookie cutters and a rubber mallet to sort of punch out the desired shapes. So once your pumpkin walls have been scraped a little bit thinner, then those uh, those the metal cookie cutters will go through really nicely and you can get make um eyes in the shape of bats or in the shape of ghosts or like you can do all kinds of really neat little things
1: that's fun uh-huh. and we already talked about the painting any specific kind yeah. of paint
4: um I think you can use acrylic and just make sure your pumpkin is really dry before you start or your paint is gonna kind of get smudged so just give it a good dry with a nice paper towel and um before you start. And then some people, if you're not sure what the colors are, you can add scents to each of the paints. So if it's brown paint, you could add some cinnamon. If it's red, you can add a little bit of cherry uh, Kool-Aid powder, like different things like that. Just add another layer of accessibility.
1: I love that idea just in general, right? Because you might kind of memorize what colors are where and then forget about it. But this is because it's seasonal too, to talk about scent in the fall. This is a really fun time. Okay, cool. So this is one great thing to do with the family. What else can we try with the family?
4: All right. So family fun. So we can do uh, pumpkin spice scented slime or a homemade pumpkin spice Play-Doh. That's always a good one. Uh, For our little ones, we can do a fall sensory tray or bin. So we can either put flour or lentils or any of those things, and then Mm. throw in a little bit of cinnamon, nutmeg, some cinnamon sticks, some mini gourds or little baby pumpkins. Uh, some leaves and other fall items and then have some scoops and shovels. This is all really good early ILS skills for measuring and scooping and all the future kitchen skills. So you may as well make, make it fun. Um, When your Halloween is over, you can actually use the pumpkins as a planter. So add some dirt and some seeds or different herbs and then give your pumpkin some new life. That's
1: a fun idea. I love that because then you can keep it going uh, kind of through the the winter months. How about,
4: ghosts. Cotton ball ghosts. Yeah. So you're going to take some cardstock. You're going to cut out some ghost shapes. You're going to pull apart some cotton balls. You're going to glue it to the cardboard and then have some large googly eyes glued on and whatever other spooky items you like. And you can make like a spooky scene with it if you want. Uh, Same thing with the the mummy, the gauze mummy. You want a clean toilet paper roll, um, some different, some brown or black paint all the way around and some glue and you put some uh, googly eyes and some uh, roller gauze around it to make your own mummy. That's so
1: fun. And you can make some kind of a game night out of Halloween as well.
4: Oh, for sure. So like there's the Halloween tic-tac-toe, which I've seen at Dollarama. And it's, it's highly contrasted and it's very large print. So you can, you can play around with that just to make it a little bit easier. Maybe add some adhesive Velcro so that the, the parts stick better. Um, A really cool Halloween snack is uh, cutting off some apple slices and putting them onto a lollipop stick and dip it into some melted caramel or chocolate sauce. So you have your own little like mini caramel apples. Um, You can add sprinkles and M&Ms and chocolate chips, gummies, whatever you want to do. And, or um, you can do brownies. So, you know, whether you make it from a box or from scratch, you can make spooky brownies by adding the candy eyes and you can add you know, some different um, sprinkles that look like scars, like whatever you want to do. Or you can make it even make the candy eyes into braille letters. So, oh, yeah. perfect. So many, so many options.
1: Yes, and educational. So, I exactly. mean, there are a lot of different crafts and things that people can try out. But one thing we want to encourage people to do is be safe when they're going out mm-hmm. trick-or-treating.
4: Yeah. So one of the big things that's come out in the last little while is you want to avoid using colored contacts and applying anything to the eye or eye area, like flush eyelashes or anything like that, because it can irritate and cause uh, possible damage to the eye. So we want to be aware of that. Um, we want to make sure our footwear is uh, it has good grip and that it won't cause a tripping hazard. Um, you want to bring a bright light LED lantern, headlamp, or flashlight to illuminate your path. So you make sure the areas that are darker and, and keep you safe while you're using your cane. Um, Teens should probably consider going out with a a group of friends for safety reasons and have friends who are comfortable with providing sighted guide for, you know, some of those streets that can be a little bit darker or maybe, you know, you're not seeing the curbs and drop-offs well enough. So, you know, it's good to have a group of people you trust while you're out there.
1: Mm -hmm. And it's not really like, oh, you know, Halloween... (laughs) because we're being safe it's no longer fun anymore these can be implemented into your costumes right you're just considering how to help yourself and others
4: right and so if you have a child who's been blind since birth you know talking about the different popular characters so a lot of the kids have no idea like if you've never seen paw patrol or if you've never seen uh superman or or he-man or any of these guys so maybe talk to them ahead of time and say look Paw Patrol is really popular right now. It's about dogs. They look like this. They have these special abilities or powers. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you talk about what makes them special. And so that way they're not left out of the loop. And so when their friends are talking about it, they know exactly, you know, what's going on and what they look like and what's special about them.
1: Mm -hmm. i mean when i was younger i was uh sleeping beauty i think Mm -hmm. and the thing is sleeping beauty was a big deal so i wanted to be her right and i wanted to be princess or whatever but i didn't know what that meant you know what color is my dress do people know that i'm not just some generic character off of disney like all these different determining characteristics awesome you can also use a lot of technology these days to help have the fun yeah oh
4: Yeah, for sure. You have your smartphone where you can play spooky sound effects and then talk about what they mean. You can put it in your pocket and play sounds that go with your costume, like lightsaber sounds or roaring lion sounds, all different things like that, just to add an extra auditory component. Um, So one thing that homeowners should be aware of is that when, um, you know, someone has a disability, whether it's physical, visual, any sort of thing, um, that... If possible, they should come down to the end of the driveway to meet trick or treaters who have who may not be able to get up the stairs or who may have more issues with that. So often there's a lot of things on the stairs or people put decorations, not mm. thinking about someone who you know may not see them, and it could be frightening for for a kid. Suddenly they're they're going up the stairs and this thing comes out and goes whoa and scares <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, so, it's supposed to be
1: scary, but also it can be pretty scary.
4: Yes yeah and unsafe yeah and especially you have a little one that could be you know the end of of halloween because they they've been you know traumatized by whatever that's right that uh, they weren't expecting
1: yeah um, liam before we let you go yeah. there these are fantastic tricks uh, uh, tricks and tips can we get through some snack ideas
4: yeah so pizza fingers uh so once your pizza is ready cut it in half in finger-like strips and then add triangle cut pieces of red pepper to look like fingernails Um, You can do a veggie dip um, served in a hollowed out mini pumpkin to dip from and this one's kind of cool salty bones made with refrigerated breadsticks and just kind of slip them in half and make little flaps to look like bones and serve them with a nice warm bowl of soup.
1: Oh, that sounds so good. This is amazing. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate the the inclusivity factors too, like uh, leaving the containers of candy out so that people don't have to take the stairs or go down your um, driveway to get to them. Um, but also some other familiarity factors, right? Like going around to neighbours that you know and friends and family that you know and making Halloween feel a bit familiar. And that's great for all uh, kinds exactly. of kids going out. And exactly. this is awesome. Yeah. Really appreciate hey, well, happy- your time and bringing these up uh, every year. It's fun to recap the Halloween fun.
4: Yeah, well, happy Halloween, everyone. Ha- have a safe uh, time out there.
1: Thank you. Thank you. You too with your kids. Leanne Barda is our independent living skills specialist who stops by on the third Monday of every month. And we were chatting Halloween fun inclusive style.
0: Oh, man. Always love Halloween. So many great ideas there. Take advantage of all of them, folks. Coming up next, Brenda McPhail, Director of the Privacy, Technology, and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, discusses the use and misuse of facial recognition technology with Daniel McLaughlin on Know Your Rights, next. One of the adjustments that we made to the program was making sure that in our longest segments of the show, we can go as long as we can with some of the topics because they just, a lot of time, burst out of those segments, quite frankly. And we as a team said, wow, we, we got to do something about this. There's just some subjects sometimes that we're always turning around saying, oh, well, sorry, we're out of time. So we've put a bunch of contributors in and segments together and put them in this time slot and then we let me introduce them so i eat up all their time anyway but anyway i i I digress on that and um, i mean i'd like to welcome in for know your rights danielle mclaughlin
3: Let's examine questions that can't be answered by a simple yes or no. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, when we talk about how freedoms collide on Know Your Rights.
0: Ramya, Danielle, isn't that the truth of the matter? Kelly sits in here. We're so happy that we have all this extra time for you, Danielle. (gasps) Then we talk a little too much off the top. Welcome back.
3: (laughs) Well, it's always (laughs) lovely hearing your voices, you guys. I got to tell you, but... Today, I'm extra happy because my good friend, Dr. Brenda McPhail, has some time to spend with us. Brenda is the, directory, pardon me, is the Director of the Privacy, Technology, and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. And we've spoken with her a few times on, on Kelly and Company. It just keeps getting more important. Welcome back, Brenda.
8: Hi, and thanks so much for having me again.
3: Always such a pleasure. Now, you have been in the media quite a lot in the last uh, few weeks, um, and every time I hear you, I confess, even though I have no right to, just feeling proud of you, so... I just wanted you to know that, Um, but one of the things that you have been talking about and that we will be speaking about today is the use of facial recognition technology, Uh, a bit of a concern for some of us. Can you tell us a bit about this technology and where it's being used?
8: Sure, So, facial recognition technology, or as we sometimes call it at CCLA, facial fingerprinting technology is basically technology that identifies people using pictures of their face. Um, We call it a biometric technology. And a biometric, of course, is just something connected to your body. Of course, our faces are part of our body. Um, And this software analyzes key features on our face and takes measurements to make sort of a mathematical map of our face. So how far is it from the tip of your nose to the top of your cheekbone, to the bottom of your chin? And then it, you know, It takes many, many such measurements and creates what they call a template um, that can be compared against other photos of you um, and used to identify you. Um, This is something that we're all kind of familiar with. If we have a, you know, we might have a phone that we can hold it up in front of us and Mm -hmm. it will unlock once it recognizes our face. Um, But of course, it has many more uses that are slightly less individually beneficial. So it's used in lots of places, um, both by governments and by private sector actors. Of course, one group that's really interested in using it are police. So there Mm -hmm. are many police forces across Canada, including where I live in Toronto, that have that technology. Uh, Government departments use it. So our driver's licenses and our passport photos are all um, designed to be used with facial recognition technology. Uh, that's, if you've ever had to sit for one of those recently, you'll know they're very picky about getting full-face photos, very stern with you about not being allowed to smile. That's to make it easier to do that, run that facial recognition software. Immigration is using it. The Canadian Border Services Agency uses it. The Liberal Party of Canada used it to identify voters in a recent writing association nomination, which mm-hmm. CCLA thought was a very bad idea and wrote to them about it, although they didn't write back. Um, and then, of course, it's not just government agencies. It's it's private sector bodies like stores. So Cadillac Fairview Malls were the subject of a recent investigation by the Privacy Commissioner of Canada for their use of facial analytic technology. It was determined that they were using people's faces without their consent. So it's it's increasingly cropping up across all sectors and in places that you would expect.
3: It's very interesting. So it's not just you know someone takes a snapshot of you. They are actually digitizing information about your face, and I I would gather that's more reliable than just you know somebody saying, "Yeah, I think he that looks like the guy I know." It it actually gives measurements so that you can you can compare it carefully, uh, one photo against another, or one photo against a face, and, and be more sure that the person is the person that you're seeking or the person that. That uh, appears before you. Um, you you mentioned consent. Uh, you know normally, uh, unless it's incident to arrest, we have to uh, consent to having our biometrics captured for, for some purpose or other. Is that, is that not correct?
8: It is correct, and just before we get to consent, I want to push back a little bit on the idea of accuracy. These. Oh, good. Because of course, that's <laughs> always an argument. That's always an argument when you've got a, a, a machine mm-hmm. um, to act in, instead of a human. That the machine is objective. That it might be more accurate, or that it will be more accurate. One of the problems with facial recognition technology is, um, in part, because it's a function of how photography works, um, based on on contrasts, right, between light and dark areas in a photo to create an image. Uh, there's a known problem with accuracy in many facial recognition problems, uh, so that it's better at identifying white faces than it is at identifying black faces, or brown faces, hmm. or indigenous faces, or and then it gets or female faces or young faces, um, and that then becomes a function of you know how the algorithms are designed and how they've been trained using existing databases of faces. Uh, so. We have to be very careful about accepting that the machine might be better at identifying people, because sometimes it will be, but there are known flaws. So that's well, my, that, that's, that's my
3: interesting. On accuracy. <laughs> Thank you. I I I I think that's very important because so often we, we make an assumption that because it's data it must be accurate. Um and that's certainly not the case. Um We have no explicit right to privacy in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, and yet we have an expectation of privacy in in this country. Is our privacy protected by law?
8: Our privacy is absolutely protected by law. Um, First, although the word privacy never appears in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms, um, it's what we call a quasi-constitutional right. Um, It's been read into a constitution by the courts, as a key component of both our Section 7 rights, which are our rights to life, liberty, and security of the person, and Section 8, which which are our rights against unreasonable search and seizure. Um, So the Supreme Court has very clearly recognized rights to privacy in a a fairly long string of cases. Um, And then we've got uh, both public and private sector privacy laws, federally, provincially, and sometimes municipally, that there's some there's over 40 individual privacy laws in place across Canada um, so it's not that we don't have laws it's that in many cases they're older they're out of date our federal law was um, private sector law was created when if you were talking about a file you were probably talking about a paper folder <laughs> instead of a computer <laughs> file right. um, but so we do have we do have rights that are protected by law, um, although the laws could be better, and that's something I work on and advocate around a
3: lot. For sure. Um, I I know that um, back in the the early 1200s when I was working at Canadian Civil Liberties, the the privacy issues had had a lot to do with wiretapping um, and and, uh, law enforcement getting access to uh telephone conversations for example um it was pre computer days that's so it was the early 1200s um but now there's so much um technology out there how can you write laws that can actually keep up with all of the developments in technologies i do, do you have to make sure that you don't actually mention them specifically in case they become outdated yes
8: yeah, canada actually one reason that, although our laws are getting creaky and outdated, that they haven't completely failed us altogether, is that Canada has a tradition of creating um, techno- technologically neutral, principles-based privacy laws, and that's really important because we, you know, even as technology changes, sort of the very fundamental principles that we believe are important to protect in a democracy like our rights to bodily autonomy, our rights to dignity, our rights to sort of move about in public without being tracked by the state, by the state, not the state, (laughs) are, you know, fundamentally Mm -hmm. important. Um, And you can protect those kind of rights with with principled provisions of law. That said, um, it can be hard to imagine the kinds of principled protections you need if you can't imagine the ways in which those protections are going to be eroded. So, as you know, ever increasingly new invasive kinds of technologies are created, uh, you know we need a refresh. We need to think through what are the things that we maybe didn't think need to be said in the past because it simply wasn't possible to violate this principle. That that now needs to be embedded into a law.
3: These are. It's very important. I think uh, I totally agree with you that that we have principles that we look at in, instead of just the 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 techniques of law I I think that that's really uh, crucial um I'm very concerned about law enforcement having access to a a biometric like facial fingerprinting um you know or even regular fingerprints or or eye scans um, something like that without uh, warrant or without given explicit permission by the person who owns the biometrics. Um, How freely available are these data to law enforcement now?
8: Well, the problem with facial fingerprints is that um, unlike a a physical fingerprint where it's, you know, there needs to be physical contact in order Mm -hmm. to collect it. Either the individual, occasionally they're collected because an individual has been in contact and police have come along behind them and scooped them up, but far more often. uh, Fingerprints are collected in ways that we see and understand um, because we are either required or asked to give them, and we do. But a facial fingerprint can happen behind the scenes. Um, Images of us are collected all the time by cameras um, up in the corners of stores, on street and on public transit, uh, that we're so used to seeing because they've been part of the infrastructure for a really long time. Um, and we're comfortable with them because we're told again and again that they're for our security. They're about yes. public safety. Um, and those cameras that have been there for the last 20 years and faded into the background now can have these new tools running behind them that absolutely up the ante on the information that can be gained from them. Uh, So in the absence of explicit laws or regulations that limit law enforcement access to this information, um, they're being seen as sort of publicly available information that are ripe for the picking. That's uh, one reason why at CCLA we say, really, we need a moratorium on law enforcement use of this technology until we think through if they should be allowed to use them and if we think there are cases where they should, when and how can they be used with the right kind of safeguards in place. I,
3: I guess the majority of us walk around with our, our our faces out there in the open without thinking twice that, that simply walking down the street could make you vulnerable to somebody capturing data. I know that as, as a, a person who loves watching uh, murder mysteries, um, that, that, you know, they're always saying, well, let's let's get the CCTV on that. And, you know, the assumption that, that the police forces have is that, you know, all the stores and all the street corners uh, have cameras and that the cameras are constantly recording who walks in and who walks out when they're date stamped and time stamped and all the rest of it. And I think you're right. M- most people, if they're told that these things are happening. Say, well, it, it's in order to keep me safe, and of course, in the murder mysteries, um, you know, they they can find the perpetrators that way. But nobody seems to ask the question of what else can happen. What else can happen when your private data, like what time you went to go buy milk, um, are made available? So. When, you know, I know that very often we, you know, we say, if if you're asking, um, you know, if you're saying, you know, I have nothing to hide, why should I worry that you're asking the wrong question? The question is, why do they need to know? Um, You know, is there any way of actually blocking law enforcement from gathering data without uh, consent or a warrant? Well, there
8: are. There are a variety of potential ways. I mean, there are technologies um, that could be applied to the images that a camera is collecting that could block access to them unless there's um, consent or a warrant filed. Uh, The difficulty with those technological fixes is that in many ways it normalizes the idea that it's okay to collect the images all the time. Um, And, you know, in a democracy we have this fundamental belief um, in innocence until proven guilty and in yes. the, ability, the the right of individuals to, to move through public spaces unfollowed by the state. Um, so creating a technological fix that purports to solve the problem by blocking access until police really, really want it um, is only part of a fix because it begs the sort of principled question, um, do we want technology that records our comings and goings as we go about our daily life in public spaces to be there at all? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that reasonable in our society? Is that creating a place that we want to live or not? Um, so then the other solution, rather than allowing all of the images, cameras to be put up and images collected and, and technologically blocking them, is to have laws that say when it's okay to collect them and when it's not, and where it's okay to collect them and where it's not. So in public spaces, um, is it an unreasonable search to constantly collect images of people as they move about? Are there constitutional limits on the ability of police to sort of subject us all to a form of mass perpetual surveillance just in case?
3: Just in um, case, you can probably That's guess the right. so way I
8: phrased that sentence. <laughs> yes. I think yes, there, there should be limits on that. Uh, that it is a, a fundamental violation.
3: <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I've always wondered if do we not have the right to get lost? You know, can, can can we just disappear for a few minutes? And I guess these technologies make gathering the data of where you are and who you are so easy that, a, you know it it would be very necessary in my view to create legislation that says, yeah, you, it may be easy for you to pick that information up, but you can't have it unless you have an awfully good reason to do so. And I think that's, that's very important. Thank you so much for explaining this to us and also for talking about the principles because i think we often lose that in the discussion of of the technologies and brenda as always it's a great pleasure to have you on the show thank you so much
8: always wonderful to talk to you at kelly co
3: well you know we're going to ask you back (laughs) thank you that was Brenda McPhail, who is the director of the Privacy Technology and Surveillance Program for the Canadian Civil Liberties Association, talking to us about the use of facial recognition technology and some of the extremely important issues that this uh, creates.
0: We are so lucky to have access, Danielle, that uh, you guys bring these great topics and you bring these wonderful guests and they give us their their wonderful time. So much knowledge and uh, we, we benefit so much for it. Thank you. Know Your Rights here on Mondays on Kelly and Company. We'll return to wrap up the show after this. Daniel is unable to be with us, so we'll run down what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown uh, on AMI-TV shortly. So just stick around. We've uh, got a few hints and notes about it. We'll get to that in a few moments. Ramya Mood and Callie McDonald, hosts of the program. So... Let's look back, as we like to do to suggest segments that you can go back and maybe pick from the Kelly and Company podcast feed or listen to on one of the repeats of the program. We do that at uh, uh, 10 p.m. Eastern and 6 a.m. in the morning on AMI-audio. But you may want to do it through the Kelly and Company podcast. Subscribe using your favorite podcast platform. We'd appreciate it. if Maybe while you're in there, give us a rating and review. Thanks, guys, for the uh, rating and reviews that we've gotten lately. Uh, Ramya, any particular segment you want to remind folks to check out while they're in there?
1: Writing came up a A couple times today, um, our community reporter, Carol Yapel, in Vancouver, talked about the Writers' Fest that's coming up. Um, But for me, significantly, talking to Michelle Talker, who wrote the short story, The Departure Train, which is now being converted into an AMI-audio, or (laughs) into an audio drama that's being aired on AMI-audio, I just loved getting into that with her. She was so open to sharing about where the idea for this came from, how it made her feel, and how she put that down on paper and it flourished into this amazing project Um, but it was just a lot of raw emotion that went into this first iteration of the departure train Um, but talking about that the you mentioned it yourself Kelly as a writer right like talking about what the ideas come from and what spins into that being a real thing like from just an idea to something on paper something that you're sharing as art Um, it was a fantastic conversation with her.
0: Sometimes, too, and, and when you're talking to people, anybody gets an idea. I don't care if you're talking, writing a script, sure. writing a book, writing a song, writing a poem. There's a moment that something clicks, something makes you say, yeah. And as as, as she talked about, going and writing it down right away, then coming back later, flushing it out a little bit more, and then literally writing the item, the genuine article, the script that is going to be or the story itself mm-hmm. after finding those extra things you want to, to put in, whether it's uh, comments from other people. I just think it's pretty tremendous when, when someone will share that because a lot of time, you know, well, what were you doing when you, when you got the idea for this? Well, uh, you know, I was eating a roast beef sandwich. Oh, okay, but something at that point, something they may have been looking at, something they heard outside somebody say as they walk by their house or whatever, you know, but it may not be that, wow, oh, no wonder you got the idea. But the mind is an interesting thing, and I absolutely love when people have that process, that they hear something, they, they put down the napkin after wiping their hands, grab the pen nearby, or go right to the computer, leave crumbs all over the keypad, and write those little notes. I just find mm-hmm. that amazing uh, to get into and, and, and always find that an interesting—it's uh, Well, what we it's like when people ask you, where were you when? And it's, it's such an interesting—everyone's so different, everything they write, every idea they get. It's just tremendous. Uh, We're just about out the door, folks, but for those of you wanting to check out Now with Dave Brown, Remy has got a little tee up for tomorrow's program. Remember, they're on 9 a.m. in the morning on AMI-tv, also available as a podcast.
1: That's right. And on the Tuesday edition, Megan Gilmore, freelance journalist, is taking a closer look at the federal government's disability inclusion action plan. There's a lot to discuss there, I'm sure. Dorothy McNaughton is reflecting on accessibility at polling stations, and this is, of course, the uh, ahead of the municipal elections in Ontario. Nelson Rego discusses some new features being added to Samsung's Bixby voice assistant. I mean, we talked about Google and Microsoft and Amazon today. So why not add Bixby, <laughs> Samsung's Bixby to the lineup and you guys can learn more about that as well.
0: Is that what the TVs have? Bixby?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's the Samsung screen reader slash voice assistants.
0: So I wonder if updates would be there or particularly for people using them on, is there other, like on the Samsung phones, would that be the Bixby as well?
1: Uh, on the phone, if you're using it like Siri, you mm-hmm. know, the as an assistance, it's Bixby. If not, then I think they just call it Samsung voice assistance
0: now. Hmm. Like they made it
1: into some generic term.
0: Wow. <laughs> Sounds like something we don't want to miss, especially any of us looking at the product or utilizing it, whether it's a TV or, uh, or your phone. Thanks, Rum. Thank you. We will return to the airwaves here. Uh I like seeing airwaves. I know. We're talking all those old things said, right? As as Danielle mentioned during her segment. Uh, We will be back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. And a new study from the journal Neuroscience reveals further impressive information about dogs' sense of smell. Dr. Danielle Johnkine tells us a little bit more. Is it time to replace your toothbrush? What do you mean, none of my business? Anyway, the only reason I'm asking is Francis Wong tomorrow will share tips for oral care on our wellness segment. So there, I'm not trying to get too too personal, sorry. Uh, leading up to White Cane Awareness Day, committee reporter Matthew, uh, Matthew Rochette shares his personal experiences coming to grips with his white cane. Also... With the theme of thanks, Young Wang focuses on good encounters she's experienced recently and pays tribute to her late father, who she showed appreciation to in the words of a book. And hanging out with us on the Voices segment tomorrow, we hear from AMI reporter, newest to our our team, Grant Hardy, as he joins us. We'll be talking about his switch from TV to radio. We jump into our next show tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. Fedora's off to you, folks. Talk to you then. Last year, I started working on the tandem with a friend, a former co-worker who happens to be in London. He had never done tandem work before as a captain while I'm on the back stoking as the second person, uh, or mainly peddling, providing power. I had tandem biked throughout my life, off and on. And there was a, a definite learning curve um, and nervousness. And the other day we were speaking, And he asked me how it's been going because another party has picked up the ball and given it a shot who has um, 30 years of experience doing it. And I I chuckled because how do you tell somebody it's a night and day difference? Um, Because you know people can learn to do this and people can say, hey, I'm interested in being a captain and they take the time to learn it. Uh, But I can tell you going from someone who had zero experience tandem biking, who, who rides a bike, of course, but not not that's not their thing they're not uh, a long distance bike rider or a racer or anything like that uh to to somebody who has ridden for over 30 years on an old bike that didn't have gears (laughs) knew how to handle it and had the confidence it it was 100 percent different so first of all a big thank you to my new tandem bike captain and boy understanding far more, and, and not thinking I'm some guy who has no clue what somebody trying something for the first time is going through, but really now being able to sit back and acknowledge and say, wow, what, what effort, what stress we both went through, and we were working with some other seasoned riders who were running shotgun on us, which was wonderful to have that support too, um, th- and, and they were saying, gosh guys, look like you've ridden together for ages. Uh, And my friend picked up on it so quickly. But to understand what he was going through, to realize what we accomplished last year was tremendous. And I could only do that now with the current experience I'm having. So Fedora's off to all as we mount up to the table and salute because, you know, did a good job and continuing to do so. And I love moments when I can stop and make sure because we always say, well, put yourself in someone else's shoes. As well as your own, look back and say, hey, this is where I was then. This is what was going on. This is where things are now. And all that's always, of course, a good thing. So definitely, Fedora's off. Thanks, guys.
2: Hi, I'm Red Sail, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them.